Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting The Molly Fool and Industry Focus. The best place to find great talent for your hiring needs is LinkedIn. In fact, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. For a $50 credit toward your first job post, visit linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, June 5th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. I was looking through my show notes from the past year, and I realized that we are overdue for some updates. And specifically, we're going to check in on the status of IPOs from 2017. So there were a handful of consumer retail debuts that we covered here on Industry Focus. And coincidentally, uh, three of those companies have seen quite a bit of volatility so far in 2018. So for these updates... I'm enlisting the help of senior Motley Fool contributor Asit Sharma, who's joining us today via Skype. Hey, Asit. Hey, Vince. How's it going? And hello, listeners. Hope everyone is having a great week so far. Um, we, I think you and I talked about two of these three companies originally, and I'm pretty uh, excited to kind of provide some updates there, how they're doing uh refresh our outlook for these companies. And frankly, we've covered a lot of newsy stories the past few weeks because there was the Walmart Flipkart deal, there's Sprint T-Mobile, um, there's the Comcast Disney thing. So I'm I'm happy to circle back a little bit on some of these uh, stocks that we've discussed previously and see how they're progressing as public companies. So the three in question are Canada Goose, Blue Apron, and Stitch Fix. Um, more recently, we also covered the IPOs for Hudson and ADT, but we're going to give those businesses a few more quarters before following up. So the first to IPO last year was Canada Goose. Uh, they priced their deal in March. The stock is up 240% from that initial offering price. Pretty impressive. And just year-to-date, shares are up over 35%. And when we first covered Canada Goose, we were impressed uh, by several things, I think including uh, you know, the very robust growth that they're enjoying. Um, and this is especially so for an apparel company. But then also the, you know, the brand cachet they have, the pricing power, and the the kind of multi-pronged approach that management has taken to its sales channel. So it has its wholesale partners, but they're also really focused on their company-owned stores, their country-specific online portals. And those last two make up their direct-to-consumer business. And uh, management has really focused on growing out that segment, which happens to command uh, much higher margins than the wholesale business. But uh, I said, what else, uh, what's going on the latest on Canada Goose? The, the latest that we probably want to pay attention to is something that you just mentioned, Vince, those margins. Uh, because as we talked about when we first covered this stock, it is a high flyer, but uh, it's increasing sales at a rate and gross margins, profit margins as well, um, at a rate that justifies a little bit of a steep valuation we'll get to in a moment. One thing that caught my eye in the company's latest earnings report, uh, and this was actually, we're due for a new quarter um, Canada Goose tends to announce its earnings date like six or seven days before they actually put out the earnings. I do not have a firm date for listeners, but within the next two weeks, we'll have another quarter of reporting. But in the most recent um, quarter, reported quarter, which covers the three months for their fiscal year ended December 3rd of 2017, gross margin increased about 600 basis points. Um, that is basically six percentage points to 63.6%. And I love this. This is the trend that we talked about last time we covered um, Canada Goose in that this shift from its initial wholesale channel, which is where the company gradually built its base, to this direct consumer type of sale online through its flagship stores. The company is really pushing its margins forward 
and that is giving earnings a chance to breathe and increase so the stock can work its way into that valuation. Yeah, I was I was I was just saying I'd really surprised um, looking back over uh, at my notes from that last show, um, I, I want to remind listeners that this company has managed to grow this uh, direct consumer business almost tenfold in just a few years' time. And the latest figures that we have from the company at this point a little dated uh, as we wait for the the updated numbers. But you know the company pinned the DTC segment at almost thirty percent of total revenue um, previously. Uh, those numbers being from the end of 2017, I expect the next report brings that figure quite a bit higher. And I'm, again, very interested in seeing, uh, like you, how that is going to continue to change their uh, their the the profile of their margins. Sure. And um, I wanted to point out that the company has this sort of long-term path to keep pushing those margins forward. Uh, recently, the CEO, Donnie Reese, uh, said that the company wants to produce about half of its goods in-house within the next few years. So if you look at today, they're producing about one-third of goods in-house, and they use different suppliers for the rest of their product. But the company is expanding its space. It's added about 700 employees in the last year. Um, so it's, and the former base was 1,350. It's opened a new production facility. I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong. The facility, which was opened in June of 2017, is in Boisbriand, Quebec. Listeners, please write in if, if I've really mangled that. <laughs> um, but what, what the company is trying to do is keep these uh, sort of in-house value-added components of the manufacturing process and then open more stores. Uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, actually, sorry, last week, the company announced its China strategy. So now it's opening two flagship stores in China. Uh, so we see there's, we often talk on this um, show about that aspirational Chinese consumer who has more disposable income and loves luxury goods. Uh, the stores are going to be opened in um, Beijing and Hong Kong. And the company's also opening an Asia office in Shanghai. So more manufacturing in-house and an expansion into markets where I think its high-end products will be well-received, these are all ways in which this company can sort of justify that high price. And I looked at the chart this morning, Vince. It's sort of been a steady ascent since the last time we covered this stock, hasn't it? Yeah, it's definitely... A standout, again, for the consumer retail space, for, I think, apparel in general, really can't beat some of the uh, the share price performance that Canada Goose has managed to deliver. And the latest news, um, you know, what you mentioned in terms of the, the expansion plans that they've announced for China, I think they're going to go into more detail on those beyond what they shared in the press release when they report their next quarter of results. Um, but... Basically, this is the company kind of formalizing their approach to what they call the world's largest luxury market. And they've already seen healthy demand from Chinese consumers. And now, you know, they're appointing this uh, uh, president for the Greater China Region, uh, as you mentioned, opening the office, the two stores in Hong Kong and Beijing. And they're also working with Alibaba and Tmall for their e commerce push um, in that market. And the that was. 
the last time we talked about this company, um, that was an example of the kind of expansion opportunities that we saw for for Canada Goose in that they could expand geographically, and then also in product categories since the brand has historically focused on outerwear. So it's really good to see them. Uh, laying out the plans for such an important market like China it comes up all the time on this show uh, as a region that is very exciting, showing a lot of growth and potential for companies um, across the various subsectors in consumer and retail. Um, the last thing that I think uh, we should cover, though, before we move on, um, and this is something that last year when we were talking about the company, I was a little bit more skittish about, and that's a high valuation. So right now, shares trade, I have at almost 80 times forward earnings estimates, um, and that's not too far off from where we were the last time around. I I have to admit that um, with this update, I'm still really impressed by this business. And I'm a little closer, I think, to coming around for this stock in terms of the, the valuation. But part of me still thinks Fashion trends, apparel is a very it can be a very fickle industry, um, but when you have a management team that's very disciplined, that they prioritize the brand positioning first and foremost, because that's something that's so difficult to build up, uh, even if you have a ton of money to spend. Um, I think it's good to see the discipline they've maintained there, and even if growth does level out for this company uh, over time, I think. I'm much closer to giving this company a bullish recommendation, for example, for the next five to ten years, and those are you know pretty solid um, investing horizons uh, for fools to consider. But I'm curious what you think, given the premium that this stock trades at, um, if your position has changed. My position hasn't changed. I'm still optimistic on this stock, but look, let's be honest. This is a company that's 60 years old, and it's built its uh, really high-end product very gradually over decades. It's a really recent entrant into the public markets, and we all know investors, you've seen a company that just zooms up the chart and then has one quarter where it quote-unquote misses earnings expectations. This is probably ripe for uh, a pullback at some point in the near future. However, I don't think investors should be rattled. One thing I love about Canada Goose is it's very methodical in how it expands its business. Another piece of recent news is that the company has filed uh, a draft, sort of, I'll call it a draft prospectus to raise $1.25 billion in the Canadian markets, its, its home um, base. And it's going to use this most likely for expanding production and building out more of these flagship stores. But it doesn't need this cash right now. And in fact, in the draft, uh, or just the announcement of the draft, it's given a wide array of of ways it can actually raise that money, be it uh, debt, uh, new uh, stock issuances, warrants. So it's basically planning for that long term. Be prepared, listeners, if you own this stock, it at some point must retrace. Um, everything that rises has, has to come down at some point before it rises again. That's just a principle of the stock market. But all in all, I'm with Vince, five to 10 years. I think you have a solid investment here. Yeah, and I'll just end on this note in that, uh, you know, the, some of the, for example, the investments that you mentioned in terms of their manufacturing base, things along those lines, I think, you know, as they develop some of that infrastructure, um, you know, the company can, can uh, increase its scale, have just more control, I think, and flexibility um, with. You know, each new store it opens, each new market that it opens, each uh, e-commerce portal that it launches, and 
I think that's going to be very important, having some of that control, being able to fine-tune in terms of you know what I think ultimately a customer who buys, for example, a $1,000 parka from Canada Goose expects is really consistent, high quality, and that's something that's part of the brand cachet. So, you know, having the, the discipline there, the control there, I think is really important long-term for the company to make sure it you know, uh, is able to kind of manage and, and nurture what I think a lot of people would argue is the most important uh, part of the business being, you know, its brand and the reputation that it's developed. Um, so next up, we are going to uh, continue revisiting our consumer and retail IPOs, and we'll be looking at Blue Apron and Stitch Fix. Full headquarters is buzzing with anticipation right now because our summer hires, including interns, will be enjoying their first days on the job later this week. And anyone who has followed the Molly Fool um, probably understands how much emphasis we place on finding the right people. Uh, people who contribute to the very unique culture and environment of this company. And if you've hired someone recently, you know how hard the whole process can be. But the thing is, it really doesn't have to be, and our friends at LinkedIn can help. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent because there are tons of great candidates ready and waiting. We're talking about 70% of the U.S. workforce already on LinkedIn. And there are already hundreds of thousands of businesses that have posted opportunities to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. And ask any of them, and they'll probably mention benefits like how LinkedIn considers everything from skills and experience to location and more when matching and promoting your job to potential candidates. In fact, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than your standard job boards when it comes to delivering quality candidates. So if you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're missing out on the 22 million professionals across every industry who view and apply through LinkedIn every single week. Go to linkedin.com slash fool and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool for $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. All right. So our next update is for Blue Apron then, which priced its IPO in June. Um, this has been a pretty tough story to follow because Blue Apron at a time was the kind of the vanguard of meal kit delivery companies. And it was a member of the very coveted unicorn list. So it was worth over a billion dollars to a private entity. But the stock has seriously underperformed in the past year. Uh, shares priced at 10 bucks, And they're currently trading at about $3.30 per share. And that's actually an improvement for where they were trading when they were under $2 earlier this year. And we did a deep dive on Blue Apron before uh, the company officially went public. That episode was actually aired exactly one year ago to the day. Um, but even looking at that early deal prospectus, we mentioned some of the red flags uh, in terms of their uh, ballooning expenses, uh, lack of pricing power, low barriers to entry. And at the time, you know, Blue Apron was the premier name in meal kit services. But if you look at this from a food and grocery perspective, it's tiny compared to the to the really big competitors out there. And I think it makes the company a bit of an easy target as a result of that. Um, but uh, with all of that asset, I, I'm curious to hear what has jumped out to you in terms of recent developments and uh, kind of the outlook for this company. So those who follow this company closely will remember that um, about two quarters ago, CEO Brad Dickerson said, hey, we're going to cut back on our marketing spend because we're sort of churning through cash and we need to stabilize uh, our profit margins. And Vince, you had telegraphed this when we first spoke about Blue Apron uh, in that they have to spend a tremendous amount per customer. Mm -hmm. So in this last quarter, which was just re reported on, uh, this is quarter one of 2018, they re-upped their marketing spread, spend 
and we're able to increase revenue 5% on a sequential basis. So they had to compare it to the, the prior quarter. Re-upping that marketing spend, uh, they still finished with a decline of 20% in revenue to $197 million. That generated a loss of $31 million. And I want to point out to listeners that quarter in, quarter out, Blue Apron has a quarterly cash burn of about $20 million. So there's a fundamental problem with the economics here of uh, the, the company, even though uh, it's cut back on its expenses. And, and even if you give the company, uh, if you cut them some slack for uh, having some hiccups in their ramping up their distribution facilities, but customers have decreased year over year from just over a million customers to 786,000 customers. So the company has had to um, sacrifice some of its space while it pulled back on marketing. In the meantime, it's faced with a lot of competition. Its chief rival, HelloFresh, just raised their annual revenue estimates for 30 to 35% growth. So they are going in the total different direction. We also have Kroger buying a company called HomeChef, another competitor, uh, for a range of 200 to 700 million. And of course, last year, Albertsons bought Plated, another rival. So I feel that the um, overarching story on this business is one of poor economics and very stiff competition for market share. What are your thoughts, Vince? Yeah, I was looking at the company's first quarter results, um, and you know, you you all you have to do is just take a glance at it, to, and you get a pretty clear picture of some of the challenges that this company's facing. Uh, you mentioned revenue being down 20% year over year. Um, you know, both customers and orders are declining, and this comes as the company has tried to rein in some of its marketing spend to help reduce losses. But just an example here, as that line item in terms of the marketing spend, you know, that decreased from 60 million, I believe, to 40 million dollars during the quarter. You know, there's a very clear effect on the business with almost a quarter of Blue Apron customers leaving the service, you mentioned you know from a little over one million to less than eight hundred thousand. That is a huge shift and a very you know highly highly correlated kind of uh, effect there. And you know, I you have to wonder is what kind of situation is out there where this company can rally long term because it's not uh, it's not like the meal kit space is uh, becoming less competitive. You have more. Uh, you have new companies jumping into it. You have established big names in grocery, um, you know, snatching up companies, going through their own acquisitions, as you mentioned. And for a company this young, I think a lot of investors can forgive, you know, even quarter after quarter of losses. But when there's no top line growth offset, that I, I think it's easy to see why the stock has had such a hard time. You know, in 2016, revenue was about 800 million dollars, and that was 130 percent growth over the prior year. Then in 2017. Investors saw that momentum almost stop in its tracks, with revenue up just 10%. Um, with all that said, though, the stock did rally after earnings last month, uh, basically because Wall Street was expecting even worse losses uh, than what the company ultimately reported. But I think you and I are on the same page when I say that investors should ultimately remain pretty wary of this business, because when you have a declining customer count, you have uh, revenue per customer pretty much stagnant, and the fact that Blue Apron has to spend, 
I think over $150 or more to just acquire a new customer. I really don't see a light at the end of the tunnel here, barring some type of acquisition or other major influence from outside the company. What do you think? Yeah, acquisition may be the best bet for Blue Apron. Um, I know there's probably a listener out there asking the question, what about Costco? Uh, you know, we did hear that Costco is doing a pilot in a limited number of stores with Blue Apron's meal kits. Uh, and, and to that, I say, we'll have to wait and see. It's not an exclusive rela- relationship. Costco has other meal kits that are available, and it doesn't preclude Costco from going with the competitor. So this is simply a test, although uh, if Blue Apron can gain wider distribution within Costco, that could help with some of these cash burn issues yes. um, that we talk about. So in the future, maybe Costco is a likely acquirer of Blue Apron. But I would be careful here for those who aren't investing in the stock and maybe want to get in, uh, seeing it as a value play. Your likely only exit in that case is an acquisition. So even at these levels, I still feel there's, uh, as you do, Vince, risk in this stock. And sometimes that's the unfortunate penalty that pioneers play in an industry. They are the most susceptible to competitors coming in and taking market share. And they're also ones that are sort of leaping to their IPO with a lot of fatigue, just trying to get over that hump and get a little more funding to keep going. Uh, Not always enough. Okay. All right. We have a few more minutes here. I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about our last company and that's Stitch Fix. Um, They'll round out our discussion. So, Stitch Fix was the most recent to debut um, their IPO price in November. Stock's only been trading for about half a year. Uh, shares are up, though. They priced at about 15 bucks. They're now trading at over $19 per share. Um, the stock has actually shed a lot of the gains that it managed to rack up earlier in 2018. Uh, when fellow fool Adam Levine Weinberg and I talked about Stitch Fix last year, some similar themes actually came up that we've already mentioned for for Blue Apron and that you know you have a subscription based business with at the time strong growth and also a need to increase marketing spend to reach new customers so that actually spun Stitch Fix's bottom line around from a $33 million uh, profit in 2016 to about break even last year um, I'm curious to hear uh, Asit what has been some of the big developments lately that have jumped out to you Vince, the company is still growing its customer base, and that is a trailing phenomenon of this great word of mouth it has. So in this last reported quarter, um, Stitch Fix is going to come out with new earnings on June 7th. So again, we're going back quite a while here, but as of the three months ended January 27th, 2018, the company grew its client count to 2.5 million. And that's an increase of 31% over the prior year, or nearly 600,000 customers. And revenue grew to 296 million, and that's 24% year-over-year growth. So I like the strong growth story. And I actually like that it is uh, both cash flow positive and profitable from a gap net income basis. Although we're looking this quarter to see if that equation maybe buckles a little bit and, and we see a slight loss. What Vince mentioned is this need to up the spends to now move from a word of mouth phase to an aggressive capture market share phase. In its most recent quarter, Stitch Fix um, spent $19.8 million on advertising. That's versus $10.2 million in the prior year comparable quarter. That's an increase of 94%. And in the first half of the fiscal year, it spent $48 million 
on advertising versus 25.5 million. That's an 88% increase. So like many of the companies that are in this so-called subscription box model, marketing advertising is the key to capturing customers. Now I will say that Stitch Fix has a more analytical, data-driven, uh, algorithmic approach to everything it does. The CEO, Katrina Lake, is a graduate of um, Harvard MBA school, and she is very keen on using data and al analytics to drive everything the company does, from choosing inventory to uh, finding reorder points to how the company markets online. So I do believe it's got a little bit of an edge over a company like Blue Apron in that its marketing spends may be more efficient. Uh, the company certainly knows its customer. It's a more specialized product than a meal kit system. And maybe Vince, I'll let you uh, just refresh customers um, on the nature of its ordering and, and product cycle. Sure. So uh, the last thing you mentioned though, in terms of kind of that analytical focus is probably the, the main thing that when I was learning uh, and kind of getting up to speed on Stitch Fix originally, that really caught my eye because uh, management is incredibly focused on using data. Um, and that really just doesn't come up quite as often in conference calls and in financial filings for other apparel companies. Uh, kind of a unique situation here. And the CEO, she spoke at uh, a conference uh, not too long ago, I think about three weeks ago, and they spent a decent amount of time talking about how, for example, you know, with the data that they have for a customer, and uh, based on all the input, the feedback that they've received, they can present or they can come up on a situation and say to themselves, we believe that there is a 20% probability that the customer will like this one item, and then, for example, like a 90% probability that they'll like this other item. So to have that, to be able to, to even make that kind of statement, I think it's rare in this industry. And of course, that approach, uh, you mentioned inventory management, you know, they know uh, based on their subscriber base and the demand that that goes with that uh, looking ahead, um, exactly how many pairs of jeans to order, how many sweaters to order, what sizes. And that's that kind of granularity, I think, can be very effective for a company to run efficiently and uh, to maximize the the um, how much customers are satisfied, essentially, which each fix or order that they receive, whether it's month to month or every quarter or whatever it is. So a few opportunities that have come up for the company as we kind of look forward. Um, they're in the early stages of their men's business and, and expanding into that. So that's right there is basically doubling the size of their target market. They've also spoken about um, expanding into plus sizes and how, again, I think they mentioned that 50% of uh, women in the U.S. either are at size 14 or higher. They were only previously servicing up to size 14. So again, really expanding um, their customer base in that way. And they're testing other early efforts, um, things like a pass where currently if you receive receive a fix, um, there's a flat fee of $20 charged to you uh, for that for the styling that's associated with that. So if you purchase an item, they'll take $20 off the cost of that order. Where and if you don't, you just kind of have to pay the twenty dollars up front. But they've noticed uh, again through some of their analytics that for their best customers, people who are purchasing, you know, every month, for example, uh, that isn't a 
that isn't the best way for them to structure their pricing. So they might charge now a flat fee of $45 a year, for example, for all the styling, uh, for all the styling fees for a customer in a given period of time. And with that, they'll find that the overall revenue for a customer rises thanks to the change in that system. So I really like to see that the company is experimenting. They're expanding, um, you know, not only the target market but the kind of products that they're also offering customers. Uh, finding more partnerships with different brand, uh, apparel brands. This is definitely, um, in terms of the subscription, uh, the, that industry, that space. This is a really interesting company to follow. I think that does that will pre- kind of has unique situations that you just don't see in apparel otherwise. And um, this is one that I have been following pretty. This is a company that I've been following pretty closely since their debut, and it's been just kind of fun to see their progress. I am very much looking forward to seeing uh, their results uh, coming up in just a couple of days. But any final thoughts from you, Asit, on the company before we uh, wrap up here? Absolutely. I've got two. So, listeners, um, when you see this report coming out, focus in on that advertising expense and compare that to overall revenue as a percentage versus the last quarter. That'll be very important because we're trying to get a sense as these quarters roll on um, on how much the company will need to spend to uh, attract its customers. The second thing is, <laughs> don't become too concerned with the fluctuations in customers. There's a really, uh, I think, unique to this uh, company, there's a really lumpy pattern of how its customers order. Uh, when uh, the company issued its S1 registration statement before its IPO, a CEO, Katrina Lake, as I mentioned, uh, had a very interesting observation uh, she just recounted this on a, on a recent conference call that over 660,000 of the clients, customers of Stitch Fix won't use the service for four months or longer. And then uh, to use their terminolo- terminology, they need their fix. <laughs> so after four months, I got to have my Stitch Fix and they'll re-engage. So while we're used to seeing stuff very linearly, we talk about companies like Blue Apron and look very closely every quarter. Well, how did the customer metrics change? Don't get too caught up in customer metric changes from quarter to quarter with this company. You're going to have to watch it for every, you know, a period of a year or two years to really get a feel for the rhythm of how the customers engage. But I think that's, to me, one more positive about this company is that customers seem to be loyal. They're fashion forward. And obviously, they're being provided with uh, things that really satisfy that itch or craving for curated fashion experience. So overall, uh, I too am curious and, and positive on Stitch Fix, but need more data. As, as we always say with IPOs, it's a several quarter exercise to figure out um, ultimately whether it's, it's a long-term holding or not. But, but so far, I'm pretty positive on the company. Yeah, I, I'll take one more minute here because I'm really glad that you brought up um, the kind of retention and how the company looks at that because they do talk about uh, churn uh, during that conference that I mentioned from last month. And uh, I think this came up the last time we talked about Stitch Fix, but the idea where you have a blue apron where, you know, somebody has to, people have to eat every day, obviously. If somebody is ending their subscription with Blue Apron, they're simply going somewhere else. But the way management at Stitch Fix looks at their product, and, and if they're doing a good job, there's going to be a point where their customers simply, they have a full wardrobe, they uh, or their budget's tapped out for new clothing, and they're going to stop that. So the company is very careful not to 
kind of overload a customer, and they're really uh, thinking about the long-term relationship in terms of becoming like a partner with their customers and how there might be a time when they stop their fixes, but when they're looking for that fresh item for the wardrobe again or items, you know, they're going to come back to Stitch Fix so long as they continue have uh, to have a good experience with the stylists and the items they're getting, and that. I think is a good long-term focus for management to have. But that's uh, all the time that we have today. Thank you, Asit, for joining us. Thanks very much. Appreciate Fool- it, Vince. Fools, thank you uh, for tuning in. Uh, people in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Well on. Mm-hmm.